Hey, hi, hello! Welcome back to Hollywood Party. Today we're going to be getting to know Hollywood's first real princess and eternal love goddess, Rita Hayworth. I would suggest throwing back a few shots of fireball before we get going because, uh, she had a really rough start. So grab a drink or four and join the party. Margarita Carmen Cancino was born October 17, 1918 in Brooklyn, New York to Eduardo Cancino and Volga Hayworth. Ed was from Madrid and came to America with his sister, who was his dance partner. He originally wanted to be a bullfighter, but his dad owned a dance studio in Spain and said, shut up, you're doing this. He came to the US with only $20 in his pocket for him and his sister, and their first performance was for the son of Ulysses S. Grant. They quickly became headliners and were always really friendly to the act that followed them, the Astaires. They made their way to Broadway in a show called Follow Me with Anna Held. She was like the first sort of wife, like probably not legally married, of Florence Sigfeld. Ed became involved with one of the showgirls, Volga, and when they married, she got pregnant and had to lose her career. She handled her husband's because he was totally illiterate, and there was definitely a lot of resentment there about that. After Rita was born, they had two more kids, Ed Jr. and Vernon. Neither of them had to become dancers, but Rita started dancing at four years old. She was painfully shy, super sweet, and was a major people pleaser. In 1926, Ed made a short dancing reel that followed the movie Don Juan. It's been lost, sorry, but he thought, hey, let's move the entire family to LA. He worked as a choreographer for Warners and then MGM, and in 1929, he opened up a dance studio on Sunset Boulevard. And yeah, it was a Great Depression, but he still made an okay living. When Rita was 12, she filled in for her uncle's partner who was injured. She danced with him at the Carthay Circle, and this is apparently where her dad figured out, oh my God, she's a great dancer. And he's quoted as saying, all of a sudden I wake up, Jesus, she was a figure. She ain't no baby anymore. We can't wait around here, I think. By the time she's 14, she and her dad were dancing on floating casinos off the California coast. They also worked in Tijuana, which at that time was known as Sin City. She wasn't allowed to call Ed father in public because in the act, she was his wife. Ed would sort of boast that he had to protect Rita from predatory men in Tijuana. He failed miserably because he was the one raping his own daughter. It seems that Volga eventually found out about this and started traveling across the border with them. She also became a raging alcoholic because of this. Rita slept with her mom at home. Ed slept in a room alone. Like, why didn't the mom just leave? I know she has two kids or three kids, but dude, your husband's raping your kid. This is ridiculous. Obviously, this messed Rita up for life because the two people she should be able to trust to protect her did the opposite. She quit school and like didn't even finish, didn't have any friends her own age, and her neighbors never heard her speak. I told you, this is like, ugh. This is why this was late coming out because I don't know how to spin this into a positive 
story. This is really rough. At 16, she got a contract at Fox for six months. They were the ones who started calling her Rita and wanted to turn her into another Dolores Del Rio. But her option wasn't picked up because she was just too shy. Because she was dropped, her dad let her start going out with a rich man, no he was not, who had studio connections, no he did not, named Eddie Judson. He told her how to dress, what to say, made her feel protected at first. He was able to get her a seven-year contract with Columbia. Harry Cohen said her last name sounded too Spanish. He is the king of stating the obvious, I swear to God. So he changed her name to her mother's maiden name, Hayworth. In 1937, she and Eddie eloped to Arizona. She was 18, he was 41. Ew. Her parents were super pissed. At this point, who cares what they think because they suck. Eddie had Rita lose weight, lower her voice, and took her to the head hairdresser at Columbia to see what else she could recommend. Rita had really thick hair, but her hairline, which started like almost at the middle of her forehead, was the biggest problem. So the lady, Helen Hunt, I swear to God that was her name, made up different photos and drew in like little hairline options that would be more flattering for Rita's face. Rita had to do so many rounds of electrolysis, like it was really painful. So when they said, hey, we're gonna bleed your hair to auburn she's like that's fine compared to electrolysis bleaches welcome after this transformation eddie asked helen hunt to go speak with harry cohen about maybe getting rita some better roles now that she's smoking hot columbia was notorious for not having any of their own stars so when harry saw these new photos of rita he was super stoked and put her in her first big film, Only Angels Have Wings, with Cary Grant, so that's like a big deal. Howard Hawks was the director and told her she didn't really have to act, just show off her figure. He said this of her, the reason why stars are good, they walk through the door and they think, everyone wants to lay me. Rita was some little girl who's getting her first part, scared stiff, and doesn't know what the hell to do. Whatever she did, Cohen loved it, saw potential, and got really involved with her career. Eddie got a publicist, Henry Rogers, to help boost Rita's image to the press. Rogers told Look Magazine that Rita was the starlet who spent all of her salary on clothes. She actually won the same award Carol Lombard got for being the best dressed star off screen. So with that combination, Look Magazine did this awesome spread on her, and once that came out, publicity just came rolling in. The press labeled Rita the most cooperative girl in Hollywood. Rogers explained his experience working with Eddie like this. Here was a conniving person intent on making his wife a star. He was a Spengali pulling the strings. He was the one telling her what to do. He basically had Rita acting like a fembot and told people she couldn't think for herself because she was too irresponsible. Rita's first actual friend was Hermes Pan, who was a choreographer. Because his job was body language, he was able to read how she was really feeling since she was not much of a chatty Cathy. He said that even back then she had a lot of mood swings, in addition to having major anxiety about having any talent at all. She was a star made on publicity, so she wasn't sure if there was any real talent there. Dude, like she's a great dancer, what the hell? Anyways, she and Hermes met while doing Blood and Sand. That was a film where she plays a seductive Latina for Fox Studios, who had originally wanted to put her in that persona in the first place. This is also where the image of her as a sexual aggressor starts, which is kind of the polar opposite of how she really is. After that movie was done, her contract was up at Columbia. So Harry Cohen invited Rita and Eddie to join him for a weekend on his yacht. 
Apparently, to get ahead and or get more publicity, Eddie would pimp Rita out to different men. She went along with this because of the years of abuse and grooming when she was a kid. So when this weekend came about, Eddie made sure to get sick and sent Rita away with Cohen alone. But this time, Rita went up against her husband's wishes and refused to bang Harry Cohen. Yay, she's like getting a backbone and being more independent. This is amazing. But this also made Harry Cohen effing obsessed with her, like for the rest of her life. I know we're used to him being a horn dog and a gross ass, but this is on a whole nother level. He made her makeup people spy for him. Some of them had to wear a wire. He bugged her dressing rooms, always knew where she was. What is wrong with dudes? In what world do you think she's rejecting me? Let's stalk and harass her. That will make her want me more. What? The next film he put her in was You'll Never Get Rich with Fred Astaire. Fred said that Rita learned faster than any of his partners. Normally, it took him 10 days of prep time to get ready for the camera, but with Rita, it was only four. Here's a weird connection to Ginger Rogers. Rita's uncle was married to Ginger's aunt. Even though Rita was able to pick things up really quickly while working with Fred, he was still a taskmaster and she would come home exhausted. Eddie, sitting around all day with no job, was super paranoid about her losing her job. I don't know why. She had to tell Eddie everything that happened during the day and instead of resting, he insisted on going out to nightclubs so the press could see her. Thank God she's young because I would stab someone if I didn't get enough sleep and then had to go dance all day. She was getting really sick of it and brought up separation. He said he would toss ass acid in her face if she even tried that, because if he couldn't make money off of her, no one would. Then he'd flip around and say, hey, I'm an old man. Why would you want to leave me? Like do this self-pity bullcrap. I feel like this should go without saying, yeah, he's cheating on her. While she's working all day, he is banging other ladies. Rita did have a fling with Victor Mature while they were filming My Gal Sal. He gave her the courage to finally get a divorce from her douchebag husband. Eddie hid all of her money. The only thing she had was a car and he would drive her around stalking her all over LA every night. She didn't have any money for food, so she'd have to go over to Hermie's house for like spaghetti or whatever broke ass thing he was making her. While she's going through the divorce from hell, Orson Welles is in Brazil and sees that famous pinup photo of her in Life Magazine and says, oh yeah, when I get back to Hollywood, I'm gonna marry her. Honestly, we should all walk around with that amount of stupid ass self-confidence. Like who knows what we could accomplish with that. Rita heard that he'd been yapping all around town about that and did not think it was cute and refused to meet with him. They did end up meeting at a party and then she refused to take his call for five more weeks. Orson had already been married before to a Chicago socialite. They had a daughter together and he was supposedly engaged to Dolores Del Rio, she ended up breaking it off. When Orson and Rita finally got to know each other, he found out that she was more pessimistic about Hollywood than him. They moved in together quickly, and she was super jealous of him flirting with other girls and hated being left alone. Orson loved to blame any issue she had on her being a gypsy. What? She's not a gypsy, she's from fucking Brooklyn. What the hell? Anywho, Harry Cohen found out that Rita was seeing Orson and was going to be in his Mercury Wonder magic show thing and forbade her to be in it. So they had to replace Rita with Marlena Dietrich. Harry really thought he was gonna just keep Orson and Rita apart, jackass. Orson ended up proposing and they got married to September, 1943. I kind of picture Harry Cohen as this villain from a Hanna-Barbera cartoon whose plans just get foiled so easily because they're so evil and so incredibly stupid. Like, I'm gonna keep you away from this dude by not letting you be in his show. Stupid. Orson told Rita that he wanted a career in politics. That 
was music to her ears because that would be her ticket out of Hollywood. Orson said that he couldn't be a good father to his own daughter because it went against his egocentric image. (sighs) All right, so he said that he loved to treat Rita like a daughter. Dude, he knew about her dad and the incest. Like daddy-daughter romantic relationships are not normal. That's effing weird. So of course, Rita gets pregnant and Orson is not thrilled. They move into a house in Brentwood. Even though he knows Rita hates being alone, he goes on a ton of speaking tours. He is home for the birth of his next daughter, Rebecca, in December of 1944. He left both of them to go to Truman's inauguration. While he was gone, Rita's mom died of a ruptured appendix. Rita was by her mom's side when this happened and obviously it brought up a lot of issues about her own abilities to parent her new baby. Orson did not come back for the funeral, and at least later in his life, owned up to messing that up royally. His political career wasn't turning out, and he needed to start making money again, so he starts making movies. He's sick of seeing Rita crying every night because she feels lonely, so he starts having affairs. That's the solution, right? Who does he have an affair with? Judy effing Garland. Because when I think of a stable person, that's who I think of. I mean, he certainly had a type. Orson said if he hadn't been a person obsessed with his own career, he would have stayed with Rita. She went back to work and did Gilda, and then filed for divorce in December of 1945. Later that month, she went to a New Year's Eve party with Shelley Winters and Ava Gardner and ended up falling asleep under a pile of fur coats. When Ava found her, she said that Rita had been crying and was like, hey, let's get a limo, we gotta go home. Instead, Rita got up and started dancing and ended up leaving with Tony Martin. Orson was back in town getting ready to shoot a movie that Rita really wanted the starring role in. So she invited him over to convince him, hey, I, I want to be the star. He said, in the course of talking me into having her in the movie, she talked me into moving in. And that's what brought us back together. She told him, you know, the only happiness I've had in my life has been with you. Years later, Orson said, if this was happiness, imagine what the rest of her life has been. D- yeah. Seriously. Now that she was attached to Lady of Shanghai, Harry Cohen made it a big deal. But Harry didn't know anything about the publicity stunt Orson had planned to bleach Rita's hair and then chop it off short. You can just imagine the kind of conniption fit that went on in Harry Cohen's office when he found out. In February of 1947, a man demanded $2,000 or else he was going to steal Rebecca Wells and throw acid in Rita's eyes. The FBI caught this guy, but this would not be the first of way too many kidnapping threats on Rita's kids. By that March, Rita wanted a divorce from Orson because he was back to his old tricks, so she had an affair with David Niven. Actually, a lot of women did. Why? She also dated my fave in yours, Howard Hughes, but saw no future with him. She did get pregnant. Her biography says that it was by Hughes. Glenn Ford's son said that his dad got Rita pregnant and they had a thing for decades. None of that was in her book. So according to Glenn, he could get into bed with anyone he wanted. Whatever, I'm gonna go with the Howard Hughes thing. She ended up having an abortion and then went on a holiday to France where she almost died because uh, there was complications from that procedure. By the time she got to the south of France, all the dudes were chasing her. This is where she meets Ali Khan, who was the son of the Aga Khan, who is a sort of a pope for over 15 million Muslims. Rita did not take him seriously, would ignore his calls, say she'd go out with him and then straight up wouldn't show up. So like he was married with two kids. So she gave him the brush off. That is until a fortune teller told her there was a man that she should have given a second chance to. And she thought for sure this is Ali Khan. So she agrees to meet with him again and he sends her dozens of roses every day. She loved the attention she got from him, not his money. That's what she said at least. 
I think that is a load of BS when ladies say that. Explain to me how you can get that kind of attention without money. Someone who is dusted, crusted, and busted cannot afford buying dozens of anything for you every day. She moved into his chateau and he was one of those guys who had house guests who never left. So there's all these bitchy Euro trash ladies just making fun of her because they could, because they couldn't be her, and you know, just talking smack in French. And Rita's, she's getting ready to bounce and Allie feels that. So he's like, hey, let's go to Spain. So they go to Spain, she gets to meet her grandpa there and they flamingo dance together. So Allie thinks, oh my God, she is the real life Gilda. When in reality, this is like the only exciting fun time she's had ever, ever. When the summer ends, she goes back to Hollywood and thinks the fling's over later, I gotta go back to work. Allie got her secretary to convince her to let him come visit in LA. He loved it there because no one knew who he was. And she liked staying in with him because it finally felt like a little family. He was great with Rebecca and she loved having any kind of father figure because Orson was MIA from the word go. For the first time ever, Rita turned down a script because it was a Western and it was crap. The press made her out to be a spoiled brat who'd rather play around in Europe with the prince. Yeah, who wouldn't? It's kind of messed up because Rita had been working since she was 12, like she is not a slacker. So she went back to Europe, but Ali's dad told him, you either need to marry Rita or end it. But the Aga Khan had to okay the marriage. He ended up loving Rita and said she was the sweetest and most quiet woman he'd ever met. Every single person that I've read about says that Rita Hayworth is like the sweetest person. And then they would proceed to walk all over her. So I guess that makes them the biggest douchebags. By March of 1949, Rita's pregnant and not married. Allie had proposed and he's setting up the wedding. So like it's in the works just she's a little ahead of the game. Less than a week before her wedding, she calls Orson, who's in Europe, and says, I need to see you. So he drops everything and meets up with her. She's in a hotel with lingerie and champagne and tells him, I'm still in love with you. I want to marry you again. He does not want to get married. So on May 27th, she marries Allie and becomes a real life princess. Allie cheats on her the entire time she's pregnant. He would wait until she went to bed and then sneak out to do nightlife stuff in the south of France. I don't know, casinos clubs, whatever. Their daughter Yasmin was born in December of 1949. Now, Ali didn't have a lot of his own money because he gambled and he wouldn't inherit anything until the Aga Khan died. So of course, he spends all of Rita's money. So in 1951, Rita got really sick of his shit and moved both kids back to America and filed for divorce in Nevada. I think, I think we all need another round of shots before we move on to the next loser that she marries. Rita dated Kirk Douglas for a while, but he said, I felt something deep within her that I couldn't help. Loneliness, sadness, something that would pull me down. I had to get away. She got no alimony from Allie, of course, and he and Orson were habitually late or just flat ass didn't pay their child support. While filming her version of Sadie Thompson, co-starring Joe Ferrer, she met Dick Hames. He was a singer in the big band era and had made and spent 4 million bucks in the 1940s. He was also currently married. She mentioned she'd be going back to New York City and he made sure to get on the same train as her. Then when her movie changed to shoot in Hawaii, Dick followed her there as well. When he got back, the government was like, Hey dude, what's up? Why'd you leave America? Dick was from Argentina and not a citizen. So the government tried to deport him, which really pissed him off because he thought, hey, I'm getting a big comeback. Now that the press found out he was dating Rita, he got a gig in Vegas. So Rita said, hey, I'll marry you to keep you from being deported. Well, he also needed to get a divorce first and that wife wanted a bunch of money that Rita forked over to help him out. 
right before they got married, Yasmin got a death threat, and it was so bad the FBI got involved. They ended up going through with it and got married in 1953 at the Sands in Las Vegas. I know most mothers, if their kid had a death threat that bad, would probably not get married, but it's not like Rita ever had a great example of what a good parent would actually do. Her marriage to Dick was god-awful. He wanted her out every night at his shows, so it was kind of like a flashback of her first marriage. They drank a lot, got violent, he cracked her across the face in front of everyone at the Coconut Grove one night, and that was it for her. She moved out that night. The last, like, major, major movie she did was Pal Joey. And the fans were not super nice to her, calling her old, especially if she was standing next to Kim Novak. But Rita was happy that Kim had to deal with all the junk that came with being a sex symbol. And Rita could just kick back and watch her freak out. In 1958, she got married again to producer Jim Hill. He wanted to revitalize her career and she wanted to retire. She'd been working for like 40 something years. So you can imagine that relationship was awesome. Again, fueled with alcohol and violence, they were divorced by 1961. Her career in the 60s wasn't amazing and by 1972, she was done acting. There were a few occasions where to people of that time, she seemed to be sloppy doppy drunk. I'm not gonna go into all the awful stories because many Alzheimer's patients, especially when they don't know that's what they have, use booze as a coping mechanism. A boyfriend thought, Something was off with her, so he took her to the hospital, and she wasn't diagnosed until 1980. In 1981, Yasmin was named by the courts as her legal guardian, and moved Rita into an apartment next door to her in New York City. Ann Miller said Yasmin was amazing with her mom, always having someone come in and do her hair and makeup, making her feel like herself as long as possible. Yasmin is also on almost every single board, or is the president of, every major charity regarding Alzheimer's. Rita passed away in May 14th, 1987 and is buried with a marker at Holy Cross in Culver City. So I took some extra time out trying to find some happiness and uh, looked up to see what happened to everybody else in her story. Ali Khan died in a head-on collision in France in 1960. Rebecca Wells had a baby in 1966 that she gave up for adoption. His name was Mark. He did eventually find out about his lineage, but passed away from a nocturnal seizure in 2010. He looks very much like Orson Welles. Like... <laughs> It could not have been a shock to him to hear that that was who his grandfather was. Yasmin was briefly married to a Greek shipping heir and they had one son in 1985 named Andrew. He was found with a plastic bag over his head in 2011. He apparently had drug abuse issues. So all of that took me an extra day and those stories sucked super hard. <laughs> like did not bring any happy ending to this whatsoever. I mean, for someone who seemed to be super sweet, there's uh, like no happiness in her life. It's like a major bummer. So the question is, do we invite Rita Hayworth to our party? She reminds me of Lana Turner, like she just needs actual friends and to stay away from dudes forever. I know Rita doesn't love to party that much, but I think she would do really well in like a cozy area where she could just listen to people shoot the shit. She'd be great. And if she gets sleepy, we know she can keep an eye on our fur coats. We've done five ladies in a row. So next week for our 20th party, I will try to redeem the men. I promise nothing, but I have a good feeling about the guy I picked. For more information about this episode, head over to hollywoodpartypodcast.com and follow us on Instagram. If you like the show, tell every single person you know. Like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Anchor or whatever the hell you're using to listen to this. And I'll see you next week.